0: Hello, I'm Alec Hogg and you are with the Noontime Thursday webinar. Uh, You can see two uh, pretty good looking guys on screen today. They're going to be taking us through The story of the moment for people in the racing industry, and it should be the story of the moment for people in South Africa, because more than 100,000 jobs at stake, it looks like an industry that was uh, imploding, has been rescued. They spent a lot of time, our two guests today, going through the background, trying to find a working solution. Pumalela, which is the company that controls horse racing in South Africa, was put into business rescue in May. It had been sliding quite badly for some months before that. In fact, for some years before that. Very involved in Pomelela was uh, Marcus Joester. We know a little bit about him. He's on his way to jail. One doesn't know how quickly, uh, but we, what we do hear from the SIU and the Hawks is it's not going to be too much longer now. But he dominated this industry. In fact, he was the leading owner in South African horse racing was something for most of the past decade. We'll be uh, talking not about to today, but about uh, in the same way you have the good ANC and the bad ANC, where we're talking about the good racing. And, uh, and that's very much the Oppenheimer family who've come to the rescue of this industry. Uh, and there was uh, a 550 million rand injection uh, that is going to enable it to survive and those 100,000-plus jobs to continue. But that's enough uh, from my side. Stuart uh, Lohman, who is our general manager, as always, is looking after the tech. Stu, do you want to just uh, help people and make sure that everyone can actually hear us? And then, secondly, how they can pose the questions.
1: Excellent. Thanks, Alec, and thanks for your time, Brian right and Charles. I just quickly, those new to the webinar, this little control panel on the right-hand side, this little high-five button, if you can hear my voice through the see the three gentlemen's faces on screen, as well as a a PowerPoint underneath. Can you give us a high five? Excellent, Alec. We've got a few there. I just need a few more to make sure that the sound is also loud enough. If it's a bit soft, please just let Alec know he can boost his sound. Um, As I've mentioned, the questions are quite vital to the conversation. On that same control panel, there's a questions drop-down menu. Please put your questions in there and Alec can pass them on to Brian or Charles as we go through. But Alec, it all looks like everything's coming through and all
0: good to go. Brilliant. And I see there's 122 people who are in attendance. Uh, that's gone up very quickly in the last few minutes. Um, please do get your questions in early, as Stuart says, the little question mark that's on your control panel. Just click it, write in your question, and I'll pose them to the gentleman. Let's start off with uh, Charles Savage, who I've known pretty much from uh, when he started going into horse racing. Charles, I know you, you, you're one of the most enthusiastic owners that I know. Uh, Michael De Cock, one of your all-time heroes. I hope he's given you lots of winners already. But uh, this is a different ball game entirely from going to the races or having a couple of horses that uh, that you might be feeding every month, to getting intimately involved in the innards of an industry that uh, really has been sliding for many, many years. What brought you you 've got, got a big day job as we as most of us know, running easy equities, which is massively expanding in the South African market uh, What brought you into turning your passion into something that uh, you had to
2: invest a lot of your uh, your expertise into
3: look, it was simply an approach by um, Jess to start with um, and and then Mary to get involved to see what was really going on in horse racing. And in, in getting a better understanding of what was going on, it that, that led me to the RA and I'm a director of the RA. And the RA gives you an access point to the industry that I guess is more um, informed than just being an outsider. Uh, and then just following the course, you know, the more I understood about the industry, the more I needed to understand. And, and the more uncertain horse racing's future, um, it was clear that horse racing's future was on sort of unsteady grounds. And that culminated in essentially uh, Mary saying, giving me the mandate uh, and the team the mandate, which includes Brian and and Mike Kroc and Vienn Smith and David Avery, to ensure that horse racing survives. And that first and foremost, that the workforce of horse racing is protected um, and that we create a sustainable platform from which to relaunch or reinvigorate horse racing for a, a better future.
0: You've mentioned a few names that uh, perhaps members of the business community are not a, uh, as a fae with. Mary, Jess, uh, RA, just unpack this.
3: Yeah. <laughs> so, um, Mary Slack uh, and Jess Slack, now Jess jo obviously of the Oppenheimer family and they, the, the business or entity that we're representing as the RTT, which is the Restructure Task Team, is M.O.D., which is Mary, Oppenheimer and Daughters. So I'll just refer to them as M.O.D. from here. And, and then the RA is the Racing Association. And the Racing Association is a member's body, which is there to protect uh, and enhance the interest of owners in horse racing. Uh, there are about 4,000 owners in horse racing, and the RA represents about 50% of them. So it's the biggest owner's body in horse racing.
0: And you're a director of the Racing Association or the RA as you've called it.
3: Yeah, Brian's chairman. I've been a director in December. I would have been a director for two years. uh, And Brian has been with us for not even a year yet. Um, And it's made up of a a couple of other board members. Michael Cock is also on the RA and Bian Smith as well. And then Grant Paddock from the Eastern Cape. Um, So, you know, our mandate there, the RA has some really key or in, uh, assets in horse racing, um, so it's not just an owner's body, it owns some of the training centres uh, and it's, it's also a shareholder indirectly to the horse racing trust into Pumalela, so indirectly the RA um, used to control or still controls about 27% of Pumalela, so just by virtue of that it's a shareholder and so you know, our interests are not just to protect uh, horse racing but also to understand it from a shareholding perspective, um, so it's a, a fairly significant player In the horse racing industry.
0: Uh, Brian, Charles, as we mentioned earlier, has uh, his hands full. You, if anything, would have your hands even fuller. Uh, You come from a a, a background of being chief executive at West Bank, helping to turn around and fix African Bank. Uh, And now you're in a startup, and we both, Charles and I, know exactly how. Uh, pressing startups are what got you to put your hand up to go and help the racing association as recently as 2010 and i must also ask you how come you became chairman so quickly
4: <laughs> uh, look i uh, i seem to have this effect on people I, I, I my first meeting which was not even a meeting it was a strategy session of the racing association charles smiles there um and that was in february this year before i'd even joined or been adopted um the ceo resigned at that meeting and then at the next meeting which was the first the first real meeting that we had at the ra the chairman resigned and um you know the the team sort of uh asked me to become acting chairman there and then it was a unanimous decision against me and i became the acting chairman promising to put a chairman in place within the next uh, 12 months or so so I, I have no intention of of remaining as as chairman but uh, but was dragged in by by Charles. Charles spoke to me at a, I remember the coffee session that we had at Melrose Arch just over a year ago when you'd been given this mandate by Mary, Mary Slack, and uh, tried to persuade me to come in and help. Um, And then things went quite quiet for a while. And then obviously as Pumalela got into trouble, it became more urgent that we put together a team and try and um, save racing, I suppose uh the, the we, we looked around for a lot of money and all the money came from one source it came from mary and and jess through mod uh and it uh, really culminated and, and came to being at a time when covid came into being because pomalella was still running racing they were running out of cash uh, decisions were being made which weren't really in the best interest of the future of racing and and then the cash almost came to a halt when uh when COVID came into being and the lockdown happened. And uh, that enabled us to be able to um, put some post-commencement funding into Pomolera to keep it going, whilst we uh, decided what assets we would like and what we were going to bid for in the business rescue.
0: Brian, I put up on the screen one of my favourite racing photographs. It hasn't even got a horse in it, but uh, these are uh, the three generations of Oppenheimers. Bridget Oppenheimer, who uh, I think anybody knows her, um, has a very fond memory of uh, her daughter, uh, Mary Slack, and then Mary's daughter, uh, Jessica, now Jill. Um But you say you looked around for money.
2: A, why was it required? And B, who turned you down?
4: Charles, do you want to answer that?
5: <laughs> um, look, everyone turned us down, <laughs>
3: except uh, Maud. Um And you know, it, uh, you know, and that's not an accusation against those that did. It was at the time what we understood about Pumalela when we were looking to raise this capital. We understood about five to 10% of what we needed to in searching for capital. We just didn't have the answers. Um, And that's despite the fact that Pumalela is a listed company. uh, The reporting structures are very confusing and it's difficult to understand it from the outside. So we needed someone to trust us with the capital. And not trust in the numbers or the due diligence that would normally go with trying to raise capital for something like this. Um, And, you know, I think, I don't think, Pomolelo is probably the most untrusted organization I've ever come in contact with. And I think it's the reason that the horse racing industry is find itself where it is. I think at the center of our demise is a lack of trust. And so you can imagine trying to raise money for an untrusted organization with a team that literally had come together in six months. None of us had known each other very well. I mean, I've obviously known Mike for a long time now. But the rest of us didn't know each other very well. And we've actually come together through this process. So you can imagine all of it compounds into a very difficult uh, proposition. Please give us money to save racing. What are you going to use it for? Not really sure. Uh, You know, where is it going to go? What are you going to buy? Are we going to get a return? No answers. So, you know, it took an incredible leap of faith and an extraordinary amount of trust in us for uh, Maud to give us the money and you know, I'm, I'm eternally grateful for giving us the opportunity to get inside what is Pumalela and to make um, hopefully the right decisions around where that money should go and what assets we should buy and what we don't need. Um, but we knew nothing when we were trying to raise the money. So I, we're not, I'm not laughing cynically. It was, uh, you know, I've raised money in other businesses and I can tell you, uh, and you know, Alec, it's really hard raising money when you've got no
2: answers. Uh, how much did they have they put in, Mary, uh, Mary Oppenheimer and Daughters?
5: So it, originally it was 100 million uh, rand of post-commencement
3: financing, uh, of which 60 million of that is drawn down by the business rescue practitioner. Um, and he's, you know, the business, the PCF plan, what, what they call the PCF plan, has still got uh, 40 million of capital. But what we've agreed to by virtue of this transaction, which uh, which is the second part of um, our sort of journey with the business rescue practitioner, is that we've underwritten, I use the word we've mod, have underwritten um, the creditors to the tune of 550 million. So come what may, the creditors will guarantee to get 550 million. The only thing standing in their way is that the creditors have to support this plan. Seventy five percent of the creditors, which is roughly about and 60 million, have to say this plan is in our best interest and the best interest of horse racing and the best interest of all stakeholders associated with Pumalela. And if they do that on the 1st of September, then the creditors are guaranteed to receive 550 million. Uh, and that does not that's not where it will end. Um, you know, If we realize the values that we think are inside the business from some of the assets that we're selling that are for sale, not we, the business rescue practitioner is selling, then creditors could get up to 100 cents in the rand. But at least the certainty that credit can take away is that they will get no less than 550 million and should get a lot closer to 100 cents in the the rand um, than they would have thought they were going to get when this process started. I mean, when we started this process, the expectations that creditors had were about 30 cents in the rand. So, you know, to be guaranteed 75, just around 75 cents in the rand um yeah, they must think like it's christmas in in
5: in August, quite frankly,
2: why did Mary do this
5: um perhaps that's a question for mary <laughs>
3: but because she has one hundred percent the interests of horse racing stakeholders at heart, first and foremost the workforce i mean it's an, it's i've never seen anyone invest um with such some- a philanthropic intent in an industry uh, that hasn't treated its patrons very well, in my view. And yet she was prepared to put all this money in place so that the the weakest uh, stakeholders in the game, the workforce are protected. That was first and foremost uh, her mandate to us, make sure jobs survive and that this industry continues. And then I think the second aspect would be to, to build a different, set a foundation for a different future for horse racing. Um, as, you've, as you said and we opened, it's been in decline for a long time now, it's got lots of excuses about why it's in decline, none of them hold water. It's been badly managed um, by the wrong people and in the wrong, and in the wrong business practices and you know, that's just me being frank. I think that horse racing's future can be extraordinary but in order to turn around, we have to abandon the, way, the ways that brought us here. We need new teams, we need new ideas, we need new platforms. We need a digital transformation strategy. We need a transformation strategy that speaks to South Africa, different ownership structures, uh, empowering ones, uh, and ones that give every stakeholder a return for racing's rand. Um, and it's a hell of an exciting thing to be part of. It hasn't felt like that over the last four months. This hasn't been a process that we've enjoyed, but we fed off each other's energies uh, in getting here. And at different times, uh, different members of the team have pulled us through Uh, And we've got to the point where I'm I'm really proud of what we've achieved in putting Mary's money into the right place for the right reasons and securing racing's future. And I'm hoping that the creditors uh, vote with their heads and their hearts a little. This is a good deal for them. It's a great deal for horse racing. And a lot of the creditors are horse racing people. Um, And, yeah, so I think that's why Mary did it. But you'd have to, when you see her one day, maybe you could...
2: Oscar, Alec. I, I certainly shall. Uh, just
0: uh, have a look at the screen now, and you'll see the Pomolela share price over the last five years. And it does reflect exactly what you've said. So, uh, share prices do tell a story of all their own. It was 25 Rand uh, as recently as 2017, three years ago. And it's, uh, well, it's suspended at the moment, but the share price ahead of suspension was at 40 cents. So that tells a story all in its own. Brian, from what you've uncovered there, we do know that Marcus Uster was a, was a massive fraudster, uh, who, who took lots of people internationally and here in South Africa for billions, hundreds of billions of rands. He's going to have his day. Uh, he was also a driving force within the horse racing industry. Has that uh, has anything come through, and clearly he had his people in place, and you, you can you can 't really gainsay that, but has anything come through from what you 've been looking at as a as an expert in these things, given the experience you had at African Bank, where there was also quite a lot of strange things that happened uh, that is going to support the case of the Hawks or the national prosecuting authority uh, against putting this fraudster behind bars?
4: You ask a, a difficult question because ever since I've been involved, we haven't spoken about Marcus Youssef. We've we haven't spoken about the history of the game beyond asking a few of the Pumalela uh, management to exit as part of our suspensive conditions under the PCF, um, you know, including the, the the CEO at the time. We spent more of our time assessing what assets we wanted what assets we needed for um, racing to change. And and to be honest, um, we, we've spoken to the business rescue practitioner about uh, any fraudulent activity. He he will take that process further if he believes things have been done within Pomelella that are obviously against the interests of creditors and the shareholders. So that's in his hands to do. We've, re- we've rather looked differently. I and mean, there may be the odd comment here and there from people in the industry about used his involvement. But, you know, I tended to take over businesses in my time, including West Bank was was, was in a difficult place when I got there. Um, African Bank was in curatorship, and obviously there was the issue with Kikinis and how he'd run that business. But, but you very often then start to focus on how you can change the industry rather than to reflect on the people that had run it before and, and the problems that had been there. Maybe that's not the answer you want to hear, but it's the way we've approached it. And we really have looked at the future on, on a different approach to racing. But have a, um, you
0: know, have a look at the share price yeah. graph. December 2017, Steinhoff blew up. December 2017, Formalela blew up. The parallels are obvious to anybody sitting on the outside, but uh, let's just leave it at that. I understand where you're coming from in this, uh, in this context. We've got quite a few questions, and I'd just encourage you, uh, to put through, you, you, can, you can participate in this discussion by uh, clicking on the little question mark and adding your questions as well. I'll be asking them in, in just a moment. Uh, just to, before we move along, uh, onto those questions, when Pumalela was first created, there was an enormous amount of antagonism towards it, unhappiness towards it including from uh, this gentleman who's on screen now, Laurie Jaffe. I had many, many meals with him where he was uh, explaining why Pumalela could never work, why it was impossible. I guess he's he's probably smiling down from heaven today at at you guys and saying, well, uh, hopefully you'll be able to put a sustainable business together into the future. But if Laurie was sitting in the room with you, how would you tell him that you're gonna ensure that this industry that people like him and, and many others had, had,
2: uh, had put so much of their time and effort into is going to have a sustainable future? Charles? i sure
4: who you'd like to answer that. perhaps Charles. Yeah. Charles I'll start? take
5: some of that, I'm sure Brian's good. Brian's,
3: yeah. I mean, at the center of it, you we have to rebuild an, an organization trust again. Um, and that's for me is, is central to our turnaround strategy. Uh, you know, it's, if we're going to build anything together as an industry, then we have to trust each other as a starting point. Importantly, the industry has to come together uh, under a single body um, and with a single mission uh, and a single goal. And in doing that, we'll rationalise the cost structures that are they're ridiculous, frankly, when you look at what it costs to race because we have these disparate interest groups, disparate structures. Um, and then, you know, it needs, and it's, from there, it needs a new, new team, um, operating with a strong and clear mandate that are, that deal with their strategy transparently and openly with it, with the st- with all stakeholders. And importantly, that the stakeholders are representative and reflective of South Africa. Um, and that all of the economics that come from racing flow back to all stakeholders on a fair and equitable basis. You know, the workforce of, of racing from you know the from the grooms that look after the horses that are foaled today um, through to the punters uh, and owners and everyone in between needs to get a fair return for from racing uh, and i think that's fundamentally in creating an environment that is trusting transparent and shares its rewards fairly amongst all stakeholders i think you've got the ingredients for an extraordinarily different future because one thing racing's got is, it's got extraordinary talent uh, everywhere you look, from the human talent to, all, to, to the horse flesh, which are just unbelievable. Uh, it's a, we are still globally relevant. We put on a great product despite ourselves, uh, and there's more, and one thing we've learned through this process is there's a lot of interest in wanting to see horse racing survive and thrive again, uh, international interest. So we've got friends, and we can sell our racing to many more places. But I think we've got to start here at home and we've got to do the, the it's simple, we've got to do the basics right. Uh, and importantly, it'll come from very strong, trusted leadership with a clear mandate um, from the industry uh, as a as a whole. And if we if we get that right, then uh, it's not that hard. You know, the digital no, transformation know. that needs to happen in the business is easy stuff. Um, yep.
4: Yeah. The, the that's so the right, Alec. The the, the one thing that Charles touched on there that's really important and you talked about Pumalela if you look at the dividend policy at Pumalela this is the dividend policy of any any future company Um, everything needs everything we make and and to be honest you have to make money has to go back into racing whereas the dividend policy of Pumalela took money out of um, what it had earned through racing and distributed correctly so at the time for a listed company through its shareholders but But in future, whatever we make, we'll go back into racing. And that's a big difference from the philosophies of of the two different companies.
0: That's so interesting, because that was the one thing that Laurie Jaffe uh, banged away on. He said that, and his uh, you might know that his family uh, founded one of the great food businesses in South Africa, Premier. Uh, He said that you cannot have a public company because it has to serve shareholders. I remember the the brief period that I served on the board. uh, There was a an absolute obsession for delivering 50% of earnings as dividends to shareholders. Now, how do you grow a business when you do that? But those were different times, as you say, and it's, it's no point in actually raking over those old coals. Um, there were a, a few questions. Steve Reed has just said he, he emailed some questions, um, earlier. Steve, do me a favor and just post it if you don't mind, uh, on here. If you could just put your questions onto uh, onto the question, Barry. I, I don't see them in my email, but it's not your fault. G Suite seems to have gone wonky this morning. Calvin Watt asks, uh, he says, be interested to hear the media rights and commercial rights strategy plan for
2: racing in South Africa going forward. Any thoughts, Jens?
5: Yeah, I mean, it's, they, they're incredibly valuable rights. They're part of
3: our what we, what we deem a racing asset, so we're part of our deal. They're the things that we want to uh, own and control, um for racing's benefit so you know they are without them you're dead in the water it's probably the one of the most valuable assets in the industry um and we think that they have got that the future of those rights is much more valuable than the past so there's been lots of interest um in attaining those rights and in fact this bid process was a very competitive bid process with the business rescue practitioner so competitive it went to the line and i'm not kidding i mean people will uh, won't understand what we went through this we knew at 11 o'clock that we were the 11 o'clock on the night that he had to publish the plan that we were in that's how late it was so and it was all about these these rights you know these rights are they are valuable um, and other people wanted to get their hands on them and so yeah they are central to our strategy and we, we're really excited about what we can do with them and what benefit raising can accrue from them in the future
0: let us understand this. We do know that, as uh, it's called, Betfred, the UK company, was also in the bidding. What you are going to do is whatever is generated from the rights will be ploughed back into ra- into racing. Brian, is that correct?
4: Yeah. I mean, the, w- there still a long way to go before we we get operating or we operate this business. But the intention is to put everything we make back into the business. Obviously, you need reserves for tough times, but there's no intention to to take big returns out of the business and, and put them into private hands, quite the opposite. Um, Which if, I, would, if I can just touch on, sorry?
0: Sure. Which wouldn't have been the case if you'd had a public company or a bookmaker well, who was Yeah, who is I, think, only-
4: I think there's a difference between a listed company and a, and a private company. You can have a private company for profit that still has principles that are different to um, a public listed company that wants to distribute dividends to shareholders. So, so regardless of which way to go, and we're looking at different structures now, the principles of putting all of the retained earnings over time back into racing is firmly on the table and the one we're going to follow.
0: Kelvin's follow-up question, we've got lots of others uh, to get
2: to, says, what impact do Brian and Charles believe the growth of sports betting will have on the racing industry going forward?
5: I mean, it's... it's- The impact's largely felt, I mean, you know, I think racing has
3: lost its share of the gaming rand over the last 20 years by just treating its punters poorly and not doing a good job of selling its own product. The shop window for racing has been below average, and if you compare the shop window for sports betting, it's two different leagues apart. So, you know, we'd like to think that we've got strategies that will win back that share. Racing is an exceptionally exciting product. Um, and one that the, if you like, the smart punter thinks he's got an edge on, um, and so we
5: would want to win back some of that. I mean, right now I think horse racing sits around, around about 11% of the gambling rand, um, and so there are lots of other products that are beating us up. And remember, it was a- Charles, we we
0: got. Part of that, uh, but it looks like the Eastern Cape is f- now failing us. Uh, but I'm sure you, you'll so uh, be. Able
4: to I think I'll go. I'll time. go along with it because I'll, I'll continue if you want. Um, Please. You know the intention is to grow uh, racing and um, sort of uh, wagering from um, racing and to and have a better product than we've got today. You know, mainly through the the tote. But you can't ignore sports betting, and sports betting will form a part of the tote offering. And, and continue to do so, you know, for the benefit of horse racing. That's the difference. So You can't ignore it. We need to recover, and we have plans around how we recover um, racing as, a, 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 as an increasing wagering as opposed to uh, reducing, which is, is the moment. But, but sports betting, you know, will be part of, of the offering uh, through the tote. and um, what we'd like to do is grow that and more significantly grow the, uh, uh, the racing betting and, through additional products, through improving uh, the tote itself, so we have plans around around that. And the other thing, I just wanted to touch back on the meteorites. The most definitive plan that sits um, that that's in existence is the plan to improve teletrack. And there is a full plan on what we call teletrack two to improve the the quality um, and the watchability, I suppose, of uh, horse racing. So that plan is is completely finalised, ready to go, um, uh, as soon as we can get control of the business, which is probably still going to take uh, two to three months, maybe a little longer, with all of the yeah. Um, yeah, with all of the the hurdles we have to we have to jump with the gambling board and the competition commission and the contracts and the agreements themselves. But but yeah, we 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 have great ideas on what to do with the tote, and we have a very definitive plan on what to do with the media.
0: Paul Bannister asks, does the business rescue proposal split the racing business from the betting business? And does it create a national horse racing body which would include Gold
2: Circle and Kenilworth Racing?
4: The answer to that is no. No, it's not. So, so what you're still dealing with Pumalella, which is the racing, just to put things into perspective, Pumalella uh, is the racing operator for the Eastern Cape and for Chauteng um, and the Free State. So, so it looks after Turfentine, the Val, um, the Eastern Cape, it's uh, in Port Elizabeth. And so it is simply the operator. Business rescues, um, the business rescue practitioner simply has to find the best deal it can from the assets that it controls within Pumalela for the benefit of the creditors. So so stage one um, for the uh, restructuring task team was to actually get our hands on the assets we wanted from racing. Thereafter, once that's, once that's uh, been done, then we need to pull the industry together. And that includes um, Gold Circle as a separate operator, Kenilworth, which is a separate operator, and all the association bodies that exist in racing, like the administration body, the National Horse Racing Association, the Racing Association looks after owners, and many other associations that exist for various reasons. So it's, it's simply that the, the business rescue practitioner um, has, uh, tries to protect jobs and uh, the interest of the industry, but it's pr- his primary objective is simply to get the best deal he can for creditors, uh, you know, and, and that is done. We then have to do, we've got a lot more work to do if we get our hands on the assets that we want i have just put this,
2: because that's the team
0: that is working on it, the two of you plus three others, uh, well-known uh, trainer Mark DeCock and two others. Are you guys going to remain involved now with mod, as you call it, Charles? Uh, are you going to be the board of directors of, of racing
2: should the creditors vote in favor on the 1st of September?
5: Yeah, Alec, the intention is to stay involved uh, in the
3: industry where we'll find ourselves. I mean, some of us will be with MOD for sure. Others might stay at the RA um, or Kenilworth Racing or other bodies. We don't want to, we don't want to spread ourselves too thin. So there's some of us will certainly stay on and and work on the MOD uh, plan, but others have also, you know, we've also got responsibilities to the RA uh, and Kenilworth Racing right now. So we've got to make sure we we, we just don't spread ourselves too thin. We've got to get more people in. There's a better way of of thinking about that um, to establish mod as a, as a going concern, a proper business. And so we've got to get hiring and thinking about the right team and people. And we've, we've started that process somewhat. But we're going to stick around in the different capacities at, with different organizational hats on.
2: Paul's follow-up question
0: is, there's a rumor that the betting business may be subject to an international bid. How does
2: this sit with BBBEE requirements, right?
4: Um, uh, look, that's outside of our, our control. But, you know, if you look at the, the assets that we have, um, acquired or are acquiring, it's, it's the racetracks, which is the Val, Turf and uh, Fairview. Um, it is some licenses associated with those. It's the Tote. It's Teletrack, which is the media organization and PGI, which is, uh, sort of a, an international company that creates, that we, creates revenue through co-mingling, um, you know, they're the assets that we have got. The assets that's left for the business rescue practitioner to, um, improve its offering to creditor, creditors over and above the 550 million are essentially, um, betting world, interbet, um, the 50, 50% of interbet, 50% of superbets and a few small companies, uh, a security company, et cetera, for him to, to, uh, sell exclusively our only um, purchase to do with betting is the tote and so he has every right to to sell those other betting companies to whoever bids for them
0: preston m says has the creditor listing which was submitted for the business rescue practice practitioner been audited some of the claims I have no general ledger balance, but have now been submitted and seem to be ridiculous. I, I had a look through that, and it's it's lovely transparency. It does tell us that if you get Investec on side, you've you've probably gone a long way. Uh, I think it was 289 million that they are owed. Uh, a long way to to getting this plan through. But have has this list,
2: uh, and it is freely available on the business rescue practitioners site, been audited, Charles?
5: I mean, we're not privy or party to
3: it, um, so it's not our job to validate the creditors list. That's the business rescue uh, practitioners' job. Um, and I would—he's—he's—he would have gone through a significant due diligence in understanding who his creditors are, because he's the the higher return he gets for creditors, the better he looks. And so he wants to obviously validate that creditors are real. But I can't—I can't say whether it's been audited. Mm-hmm. Uh, or not but I, I I can assure you that it would, a thorough process would have been followed to establish who the correct creditors are and if anyone on this call has information that is contrary to that then they should give it to the business rescue practitioner because this is not a final list um, and it will only become final in a few weeks time so if you know if someone's got information that uh, they think would change the outcome on the creditors list then that would be a great and so now is a good time to speak up
4: Excellent. I think as well, Alec, just on that, just to to add to it, there is a dispute process um, highlighted in the business rescue plan. So so if you if your claim is missing or it's wrong or incorrect, there's a, there's a process to follow. And it's quite a quick process that takes place over a short period of time before the credits vote. And then, you know, even in a dispute, they they name various judges that will that can be chosen um, to uh, or to make decisions on those disputes. So so it's. All in there in the plan, um, and if anyone does have a have a dispute, then I suggest they look at the plan and and follow that process.
0: John Kinsley's got a uh, question. I'd also, uh, I think many of us are, are interested in hearing the answer to. He says, "Can you clarify what the role of the Racing Association or the RA will be in the new structure?"
4: Um, the role of the Racing Association um, is is really. Defined in its uh, memorandum of incorporation, so that won't change unless we change that MOI. Um, the you know the main role, if you if you listen to most owners, um, you know the 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 main role of the RA is to is to really negotiate the stakes agreements on behalf of owners. So owners need to need to be rewarded for running their their horses and and winning races and purchasing those horses. So, um, you know, what's happened uh, subsequent to business rescue was the business rescue practitioner suspended the current stakes agreement that was negotiated between Pumalela and the Racing Association, um, which he has every right to do. And, and they are paying at a much lower rate at the moment than uh, for stakes than was uh, published in that original plan, obviously in the interests of keeping Pumalela going. So as soon as the new operators get hold of um, the assets and the deal is done and all the legalities have signed, the, the racing association will be uh, looking to negotiate new stakes on behalf of owners uh, that create sustainability and confidence for owners to purchase horses and, and race those horses.
0: A question from Steve Reed. Uh, He says, the Racing Association has lodged a claim of 345 million with the Pumalilla B business practice uh, uh, practitioner, uh, of which a business rescue practitioner, of which a paltry 670,000 has been approved as a voting interest for the 1st of September vote. Uh, This raises questions and I'd like to know how did the RA get to the figure of 345 million uh, and why is the BPR not approved the full amount?
4: The, the, the racing, the the agreement between Pomodel and the Racing Association goes back many, many years. The, the Business Rescue's uh, understanding of that, um, particular, uh, deal is different to that of the Racing Association. And the Racing Association arrived at that particular claim based on its interpretation and legal advice it got, um, and, and put that claim in. The business rescue practitioner has clearly disputed that and not included in it. And the Racing Association will follow the dispute process with the business rescue practitioner about that claim.
0: His follow up, uh, his second question is, do the RA directors, and that's the two of you, uh, not have a duty to interdict the meeting scheduled for the 1st of September to enable the parties to resolve the claim dispute and attribute voting, uh, voting rights to the RA?
4: As I said earlier, the, there is a dispute process that looks to resolve that through various intermediation and a decision by judges that are named in that business rescue practitioner prior to the creditor vote. Um, and, if, and if we don't find it or we don't agree, then, you know, um, that's, we will both take legal advice on that.
0: But his question is, why don't you interdict the 1st of September meeting to get that sorted out?
4: Because there's plenty of time between now and the 1st of September to resolve it um, prior to to going to an interdict. So the idea would be to to resolve it first. And if you can't, then you follow a different route.
0: All right. So an interdict might well still come. Uh, Third question. If stakes payments are in any way included in the claim amount, how far back does the claim uh, stretch?
4: Um, it would be whatever stakes are outsta- outstanding from the, the date of the original, um, uh, the original agreement. So stakes that have been unpaid and due uh, flowing over the years. But essentially, it's that the claim that was put in was 17 months worth of stakes.
0: Antti Gioannidis asks, are you going to
2: get a competitive tax rate from government as with casinos and the lottery? <laughs>
5: yeah. yeah I think I mean we want to work with government on a different
3: funding structure for horse racing but there's no indication um, from them yet that that the tax structures will change but there is a willingness to create to sit down and discuss it and debate it and to uh, go along what they call I'm trying to think what they call it now Brian what is the process? Um, Which this master plan and uh, so our government has indicated that they were willing to sit down and uh, and have a master plan. And out of that process, we're hopeful that a, that a new funding structure for racing will, will come about. But we have to go through that process first.
2: Are you going to keep
0: all your outlets and grow them to expand your base income? That's the follow-up question
2: from Anthony.
5: You know, that's... Um, no, most likely. Um, I mean, we all—the
3: future of betting—and uh, is digital. And uh, you know, if COVID hasn't proven that to everyone. Then you know, it, it, the future of all business is, in fact, digital. So you know, whilst we we have have a big outlet, and we will look to see what improvements can be made to that those outlets. If there are strategic outlets that we are missing, then perhaps we will invest in those. But our focus very much is going to be on improving the digital product, because. My view is that within the next five years, shops will be obsolete and that if our digital product is obsolete, so will we be. So we need to focus on where the future of racing is going to be. And in my view, that is going to be a digitally dominated customer base. And so we are going to be focused there more than we are on building physical infrastructure.
2: Andrew Langham, who knows a bit about
0: these things, uh, uh, has a question for you, Charles. He says, please, could you clarify
2: whether you're satisfied with the interim management team and their trustworthiness?
5: Yeah, I am completely. I mean, you know, I don't know. I, and I'm sorry, but I don't know the whole team. But the team that
3: we're engaging with, uh, which is you know, made up of the business rescue practitioner and his team and then the executives that are supporting him. We've got uh, no reason to, uh, well, no reason not to trust them. I think they've done a great job in the last, uh, since they've taken over the running of the business. In fact, it's an extraordinary job. When you think about where they were in April, um, you know, it was it was facing liquidation. And, you know, I don't think anyone really understands this. Horse racing was hours away from liquidation. That's how bad it was. And what they've done is they've stabilized it um, in a very difficult period. They've improved the outcome for creditors substantially by more than 100%. um, And the internal KPIs around the business are improving under very difficult circumstances. So, yeah, I'm confident that the team that are there now are doing a good job.
2: Steve Brethrick asks, the
0: rescue plan looks to be very promising to the Pumalela creditors. As the largest partner and managing agent of the Teletrack partnership, why does Pumalela not address debt owed to the Teletrack creditors? As a managing agent for Teletrack, what can Teletrack creditors expect from Pumalela's rescue? It looks like it's an intention to
2: leave Gold Circle and Kenilworth Racing high and dry.
4: I don't think that, I don't think that's the intention, uh, but I think I don't think we can comment either. That's in the hands of the business restaurant practitioner and how he deals with his shareholding at the moment. Um, just just to put things into perspective, with Teletrack, um, I'm trying to think of the of the splits, but it's about 62% owned by Pumalella and the balance owned by um, Kenilworth and, more, and, and Gold Circle. Uh, how he's dealing with claims and dividends and various other things is in the hands of the business rescue practitioner. That's a question best posed to him.
0: Stephen Carter asks, what about the 25% tax takeout on horse
2: racing? Is this not killing the industry?
5: I'm not sure what he's referring to in the 25% tax takeout.
4: I think he's I think he's thinking about the 25 percent tote takeout. I would imagine.
2: I think you are yeah.
5: spot on. So
2: is if
3: that... it is, then. Is... Yeah, so I'll speak to that. I mean, that is that that is horse racing's revenue stake um, and it's internationally re- internationally. The numbers are very similar. Um, so we're not out of line. There are areas where we are out of line. So, for example, Hong Kong. The takeout on a winning bet, I think, is only 10%, and in South Africa, it's 20%. So, it's something to be reviewed um, and to be looked into. And strategically, if we are out of line with best practice, then it's something we've got to we've got to move. Um, we, you know, it's it, you've got to evaluate it. Is what's best? What's going to drive volume? So, if a move in that takeout is going to increase volume, then it's worth doing um, because in the result, you'll get a you know you'll get more out. So, we've got to, we haven't re, we've we've Looked at global best practices, we've established where we are out, and the win bet is, is one example. But for example, on the Pick Six, it's sort of globally the same, 25% takeout on the big pool bets, and fundamentally, those are the bets that are driving our revenue. Uh, our weakest bets are things like win and place bets, and we've got to we've got to develop strategies to change that in the future.
0: Peter Gibson asks uh, a question, a gentleman well-known to most people in racing. He says, considering the global successes of the fixed odds business, why did mod elect to ignore all or parts of Pumalela's fixed odds businesses, such as betting world, when prior to its recent destruction, it was extremely profitable when in the hands of competent management?
5: I mean, this is a, that's a good question, and I know Peter also, well, and I know the industry want to ask this question. But the bottom
3: line is that when you're looking to when you want, when you've got a finite capital pool, and you are looking to buy the best assets you can for the for the future of racing, that's what you've got to do. And fundamentally, um, leaving some cash on your balance sheet is also strategically a strong uh, position that we wanted to to keep. One, because we want to invest heavily in horse racing's turnaround, but two, if we find ourselves strategic short on an asset, then we can still go and buy it. Now, just because horse racing owned Betting World and, uh, and others, percentage of super bets is not a, is not a valid reason to go and buy them. The betting world is decimated and the turner, it would be, we'd be far better buying a business that was doing well with a strong management team than investing one that has nothing, none of those attributes. So, you know, you have to divorce ourselves from the emotional attachment that comes with having owned them, if you like, to the sense, ability to say we've got a finite capital base. We need to buy the best assets for racing's future. And that's what we did.
0: There's a question here from Chad Dowie, which is a a, a follow up to a degree. Uh, He asks about super bets. Uh, Is it an important part to Pomalilla? And if you consider what Pomalilla paid for super bets, uh, it would comfortably Repay all the creditors if you were able to get that money
2: back what's the whole story there Charles
3: um, we've left it to the business rescue practitioner to establish what value he wants for it it's not a business we want we don't believe it fits into racing's future um, and it isn't the it, it isn't it, it isn't the kind of organization that we want to operate in the future uh, that doesn't make it a bad business it 's probably a very good business in its sector um, but where it operates and how it operates is not the way that we want to run business in the future.
4: Uh, I think the other thing there as well, Alec, is that that and Interbet are 50% owned by um, Pommelala and 50% owned by outside parties. You know, the, the, the assets that we've taken over, we control 100% of. So we can make decisions of that and not have to worry about what anyone else thinks. So, you know, it's uh, it, it's difficult in partnerships at the best of times and, and they win particular assets that we were interested in either. So uh, we'd rather spend our time, as Charles said, turning around the businesses that we control 100% of.
0: Whose job would it be to interrogate that transaction? And I I just ask you because, and it's quite strange that so many people don't understand what happened at Steinhoff. But uh, what the, the, the modus operandi? It's No done it's a fair for. question. The, the internal players would uh, would use yeah, the assets and uh, and and then share off, off balance sheet or share the money between them. The difference between them at the detriment to the company. So who investigates that transaction, which
2: now looks to have been ridiculously expensive?
3: Yeah, I mean, the, you know, the shareholders retain their rights, uh, and in the in the result. The shareholders um should if if they believe there's been wrongdoing should be you know pushing the business rescue practitioner and uh to investigate it more i mean it is it is with hindsight it 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 looks wrong i mean I personally have looked at that transaction um and you know i wouldn't have been satisfied with the level of due diligence that was done on it um it's, it looks like we paid a high, a, a way high to, a higher price, but that's easy to say with hindsight. You know, at the time, they were doing 120 million in profits. They repeated that the year after. And then only after that did the, the profits start to dissipate. So, you know, it definitely, it, it's warranted given the history, uh, associated with Euresta. It's somebody needs to have a long, hard look at that transaction. That's not our job. It's not our assets to look at. We're not buying it. Um, but someone should. I agree. Someone should look hard at that transaction.
2: But who should? That was my question. Who should interrogate that?
5: Well,
3: Is it's, it the whole? You have to. The business to rescue la- uh, it, The business res- rescue practitioner would, if he believes there's wrongdoing, and there's value to that, would come from that. that would flow to. The creditors and all the shareholders. Remember, he still, his, whilst creditors rank one, shareholders still rank in his plans. So to the extent that there is value to be ascribed to legal action, if there if if would be legal action, then for sure it's the business rescue practitioner's responsibility to look into that uh, and make a call as to whether legal action is justified and, and worthy in, in increasing the return for creditors and shareholders.
0: All right, so we know who to ask the questions of. Daniel Airey asked the question here. Hollywood's success has been convenience of having one platform, fixed odds and the tote, the open bet, which we all know is a massive issue. But I'm sure you guys have a plan to counter this.
2: Do you not plan to keep one of the bookie setups and integrate it into the tote to create something similar to Hollywood?
5: Um yeah. No, we don't. So I think the problem,
3: one of the problems I feel in horse racing is that you're poacher and gamekeeper. At the centre of the of the tote, uh, in its DNA, it is not dissimilar to the stock exchange in that it create it's a it's a destination for liquidity and products, and and it must it must it must deliver trusted products uh, to the marketplace and that that are attractive enough and enhance liquidity. Um, And then what it's got to do is got to focus on Making sure that it has the appropriate distributions, uh, partnerships to get that product to market. And for me, I want to marry the bookmakers and Mm -hmm. give them the best possible product with the best liquidity so that they can put it, they proudly put it on their storefront. I don't want to compete with them. Um, I don't think it, it serves us any purpose. They are better at serving their customers than we are. What we can be better at is delivering the best product in the country and if not in the world. And that's where we want to focus. This is put product in front of bookmakers that is a no-brainer to them, that they're proud to display, that gives them a fair return for their customers um, and fundamentally enhances their customer
2: experience. Rosemary Sanderson asks,
0: the rural punter regards the totes as the most loved form of limited entertainment that's available to them. How will you handle that loyal part of your market in the new business format? And I can relate to that coming from a small town
2: originally as well. The tote certainly was a a magnet for many people on a Saturday afternoon. Brian?
4: Oh, look, I think Charles is saying how uh, to – I think there's two things for the the local punters. So so, so when Charles says that betting shops are going to disappear – they're probably not going to disappear in their entirety. Their, their share of business is going to drop. So, so you're talking about two things there. I think you've, you're talking originally about the social interaction they get from being out on a Saturday and, and punting somewhere, and obviously then through the tote. You know, we, we haven't put specific plans together for um, um, the regional punter, but we would still want to enhance our digital offer for the benefit of those punters. Uh, and everybody else so so through cell phones etc but there's probably always going to be a place for a social punter that wants to move into into a betting shop and spend an afternoon there perhaps a beer or two um you know obviously our product we want to we want to improve and that'll be for the benefit of all including that regional punter but but is not on the is not on the agenda as a specific target market to improve um Uh, that product specifically for the regional punter they would benefit from an overall improvement in the product
0: we're coming to the end of uh, our hour so we've got only one more question before you guys wrap up and that's from Preston who says is there a move to move Teletrack from DSTV to another platform like OpenView which is available to the masses at a low cost
2: instead of a fixed monthly DSTV subscription fee surely this would only increase access to the market and the product."
5: Yeah I mean there's we've had a lot we've looked at a lot of
3: alternative distribution channels so no we don't want to take it off DStv DStv does a great job at getting us into lots of very high valuable high value markets but are we looking at alternative channels um to deliver the product 100% uh, so that it's it's cheaper and easier for for consumers to consume the product um and in that regard, I think the most obvious partners are the telcos. You know, they are, if you look at their strategies, they're all trying to build digital content for themselves and secure uh, content. So, you know, we'll be speaking to them as soon as we are in control of these assets. We'll be looking to establish relationships with the telcos to deliver our products down their digital channels.
0: And Brian, uh, just to, to wrap up, maybe you can explain to us what happens from
4: here. Oh, it's, you know, it's been a very difficult process for, for people on the outside. We've all signed NDAs and confidentiality agreements to get this far. So it's been very difficult for us to share what has actually been happening on trying to get the deal across the line. Um, then then we've got until the 1st of September to, uh, to get the creditor's approval or the business rescue practitioner needs to do that and gets the creditor's approval for this plan if that takes place. The good news is that, You know, the the term sheet that's been put in place, the the PCF, uh, the the second PCF agreement is a very good one. To be able to get the legalities across the the line won't take – I don't think that's going to be overly difficult because the the lawyers and the parties are on similar sides. It's really the gambling board's approval um, for the change of licenses and the, uh, um, the competition commission's approval and how long that takes to get this uh, this deal done so you know we're hoping that in the next three months or so we can uh, we can change we can get these assets changed hands and then mod can actually start operating under its new name which whatever that is
0: and charles uh, just a final question for you which is related to one that peter benton asked gold Circle sitting on 200 million rand after the sale of clearwood is that in the plans you're a pragmatic man you've been talking very pragmatically about solutions for uh, this company
2: into the future. Would that be uh, a potential a merger with Gold Circle?
5: I yeah, would love to merge all the, all
3: the racing entities, so Kenilworth Racing, Gold Circle, and ourselves if we get the assets. The day we get the assets, when it's certain and we are the new owners, Gold Circle is probably the first call and Kenilworth the second or whichever order. But you know, we want to unify this industry. Um, it's so much stronger together, and we'll, it will save us a lot of money. And that saving will immediately return to to the industry because it will just mean we've got more profits to spend on our, on enhancing the product and paying stakes and improving the punter experience, et cetera. So, yeah, you know, can't wait to own the asset. There's no point us talking to anyone until we are secure. I mean, we're not secure yet. First of September gives us a greater degree of certainty. But then we've still obviously got competition commission and gambling board approvals. So we do want to get alongside Gold Circle and Kenilworth right away. They've got extraordinary assets and race. None of the regions can stand alone. That's the key. All of us need to, be, need to stand together.
0: And the final uh, wrap up here, looking at a, at a brighter picture into the future, we have seen how well South African bred horses compete on the global stage. And indeed, at, they cost a fraction of the price of those uh, that are bred elsewhere in the world it, it is just a huge huge opportunity waiting to happen and perhaps to explode employment opportunities etc is there any update on being able to get south african horses into the international market uh,
2: getting past this seemingly political issue about african horse sickness
4: um You want me to talk about it? So so the the company behind this is um, SAEHP, the export protocol, um, South African uh, business that's been trying to get that across the line, the export protocol sorted. The sad part is COVID has put us back. We were about to have an audit. Um, We think all the protocols are in line. Uh, The Racing Association, along with many other associations, have been supporting SAEP. Um, in its efforts. It's got government on side, the trade, the trade and industry on side, and, and Europe were about to do an audit on our protocols. Um, had, had that audit taken place in April, we were confident that by September, we would have been in a position to export horses uh, overseas. Unfortunately, COVID has um, put a spanner in those works, and uh, we're, we're still trying to, The we is still trying to find a a solution to that and they're they're even trying to get a a, 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 an audit done without um, people physically being in south africa but you know we we have we have all the protocols we think in place we have the uh, possibility of doing this it's just about finding um, a solution in COVID times of getting an audit done in south africa and once once that audit is through and it's approved It'll take two to three months before actual protocols open up. So we're quite confident about the future. Uh, it's uh, it's in the hands of SEAP and uh, the European Commission to to come to some kind of arrangement to get an audit done.
0: Brian Riley, thank you for that uh, bright note on which to end this webinar. Charles Savage, as always, it's a pleasure talking with you, Stuart. Before we leave, where can people get hold of a copy of the recording?
1: Excellent, thanks Alec, and thanks Brian and Charles. Uh, you make me reminisce of my younger days on the Turbotin Race Course about 20 odd years ago. It's a fantastic discussion. Um, Alec, I've put the YouTube channel, it's the Business YouTube channel link, it's on the chat bar, which is also on the control from the right hand side. Uh, people can just search Business uh, YouTube as well on Google and it should take them through to the, to the channel itself, but we'll probably get this up in the next hour or two, since just to process the video.
0: Brilliant. Well, thank you, Stuart. Thanks again, Brian and Charles, for all the effort and energy that you've put in there. Unpaid, I believe. Uh, or did you guys charge fees? Nothing. <laughs>
4: <laughs> we'll send you the bank accounts. Nothing. I we'll love, send I you
1: love, the bill, Alec.
0: I love to hear this because, uh, no, uh, when, when I, uh, many years ago, when I did serve in, on the RA as a director there for a few years, um, one of the first things I recommended was that we don't take any any fees, any salaries. And back then, everyone agreed. But uh, I see it subsequent to that, uh, it's changed somewhat and people were taking significant amounts out of the RA. But it's uh, nice to see uh, that that it's gone back to its roots. So well done uh, on, the, uh, on, on uh, explaining quite a lot of the questions that have been asked today. And uh, for all the energy and the effort that you've put in, look forward to talking perhaps in three months time, Brian, uh, when you are finally, hopefully, popping the champagne. Until then,
2: uh, from me, Alec Hogg, it's been an absolute pleasure and look forward to the next time.